Welcome to Geographical Thinking, the podcast where you get ideas, stories, and conversations all through the lens of geography. I'm your host, Guan Yu. Every humane society has different kinds of stakeholders, people who adopt and foster pets, people who surrender pets, and volunteers who help take care of them. But not all of them are equally served. Tegan Buckingham wanted to ensure that the Toronto Humane Society wasn't creating barriers to people adopting pets or even people accessing the society's veterinary services. Tegan has a degree in spatial analysis and is the Director of Integrated Marketing and Development at the Toronto Humane Society. She did a spatial analysis to identify well-served and underserved geographic areas for their stakeholders. Tegan, welcome to Geographical Thinking. Oh, thank you for having me. Tell me a bit more about this analysis you did. So uh, back in 2020, uh, Toronto Humane Society, like many other organizations, wanted to assess our stakeholder groups to make sure that we were serving uh, and accessing the people that needed us most or that we were trying to reach with our services. Uh, this all came and sort of was uh, erupted out of the, the murder of George Floyd in the U.S. And we wanted to examine to make sure um, that we were reaching the people who might not otherwise have access to the, the services from other organizations. So we wanted to make sure that we weren't perpetuating any systemic barriers um, and things along those lines. So the first step in what our commitment was to our stakeholders was to assess the groups that were um, using our services and accessing our public veterinary services, adopting, that sort of thing. Is there a specific stakeholder group that you looked into for this analysis? Yes. So we, we, there's a broad range of stakeholder groups and we did do some narrowing down. Um, we looked at five main stakeholder groups for this analysis. We looked at our adopters. We looked at clients who had used our public veterinary services. We looked at the groups of people who had surrendered a pet to us. We also looked at our volunteers and our foster parents. Um, we felt that these were good sort of analysis and we had the most data to support uh, analysis on these groups uh, as well as we weren't too concerned about um, things like our donor data being published. Were there other data in addition to your data that you brought into this analysis? Yes. So with this analysis, we, we eventually, we took our first, as a first step, we took our stakeholder groups. Uh, we plotted those out to look at, at you know, What's, what is the study area? How broad are we reaching as a whole? Uh, from that, we made sure to get obviously the sort of spatial data that we need. So we, we assessed everything at a census tract level uh, so we can get a nice, a nice picture. Um, and then on to do the assessment, we used the something a data tool that is called the Ontario Marginalization Index. And that is a, a tool that takes um, demographic data or indicators and breaks them down into four specific um, metrics, if you will. Uh, so one is residential instability. That would be like people who aren't necessarily homeowners, they're a little bit more insecure with their housing situation. Um, material deprivation, so they don't have access to 
everything that, again, somebody who might have a higher income would have access to. Uh, they are dependent probably on government subsidies, that, that type of thing. So dependency is another indicator. Uh, and we also looked at ethnic concentration, uh, ethnic concentration being different groups of people who are non-Caucasian. Uh, and as that concentration grew within a census tract, that's what we wanted to assess to see if our stakeholders are there, because these are the people who are most marginalized or um, deprived from most of the services that are offered. So you have your data mapped out in census tract, and you also have this index, marginalized index data also mapped out in census tract. And what did yes. you find? Yes. So we for, we did two analysis. One, we wanted to look at first our, our um, stakeholder data, which we that's where we did a hotspot analysis uh, to see where all of our stakeholders are. Most of them, unsurprisingly, <laughs> are within the, the very central part of the city of Toronto. Um, so we were seeing some of the, the, the gaps and cold spots appear around the border of, of the city of Toronto, um, as well as in the surrounding municipalities, uh, whereas with the uh, and so what that means is we're seeing uh, you know most of these stakeholder groups are very close to where the location of Toronto Humane Society is within the city of Toronto. Um, so the second analysis that we did, uh, we looked at correlation between the two different data groups. So our stakeholders and the marginalization index. <laughs> this was quite in, in, intense because it ended up we needed to do twenty five different maps one for each of the <laughs> of the stakeholder groups as well as its assessment to each of the mar marginalization in index um, metrics wow that's a quite intense exercise <laughs> so first question for your first part of analysis mm -hmm. the hotspot analysis mm -hmm. do you see any kind of correlation of adopter groups with um, public transit lines or they're pretty widespread evenly spread in the GTA, Greater Toronto Area? Um, I, like, it, it was pretty pretty even. Um, it's hard because of the size of our study area, because we did the entire Greater Toronto Area, and it's not so limited down to the, the city of Toronto, it's hard to really assess that transit. But I would imagine it is. Um, just like distance is a barrier to some people, I think um, transit would be too, uh, access to a car, all of that. Um, one of the interesting results was for our for our PBS, so our public veterinary service clients, um, it was one of the only stakeholder groups that we didn't see a cold spot form over top of Durham region, which is to the east of the city of Toronto. Uh, and we feel that that was because we are actually servicing that area, maybe not as highly as we are as the downtown core, but we were servicing Durham region uh, at a higher level than the other surrounding municipalities. Um, that was, again, sort of interesting and and. and there's no hot spot there, likely because of some of the barriers that that we discussed, whether it's transit, whether it's, you know, distance, um, just sheer access to our facility, because we only have the one location. Um, but there's also other organizations that are within the surrounding areas of Toronto Humane Society, too. So other services or other organizations could be offering services to these these groups as well. Hmm, that's interesting. So when you're looking at the communities that you're serving, it's not only how far they are located from you, but it's also equivalent services offered by other 
uh, nonprofit organizations or for-profit organizations. Exactly. That, and that could be influencing some of the results that we were seeing for sure, um, because there are other um, animal welfare organizations that offer similar services. How far will they travel to um, a downtown location to adopt a pet? We've had people come from quite far. So we've had people, I, I have vivid memories of people adopting who have come all the way from Peterborough, which is, I think, two hours outside of the, the city, the downtown core of, the, of Toronto. Um, so I, people come from afar, afar realm to adopt. Uh, one interesting bit, again, this isn't in the, in the paper, but um, a lot of adopters like to go to events. So um, we were seeing people that, for instance, lived in Mississauga, but if we had an event that was held in Pickering, these people would be driving from Mississauga to come to Pickering to adopt when it would have been much easier <laughs> for them or closer to adopt from our main location. Uh, so it is interesting to see what people, where people are willing to go and how to get there. You know, for that, there may have been a barrier. They didn't want to go down into the main city too, right? The, you know, going, going from Mississauga, which is on the west end of the city to Pickering on the, the east end, you can avoid the city center <laughs> completely um, if you would like to. So there, there may have been some, some barriers there when it comes to that, that sort of thing too. The second piece of your analysis, when you combine the demographics information of, you know, at the census track um, level with the your data, with um, Toronto Humane Society's data, what are some of the findings that surprised you? Probably the most surprising thing was seeing how um, our adopters' results. I, I think we saw a high number of our adopters were considered to be residentially unstable. Um, so that meant that they do not have uh, housing security. Um, we dove into this a little bit because uh, we wanted to see what might be going on there because it, it was unexpected. Uh, but what we assume and our thinking is the, the reason for that is within the city of Toronto, there are not, there is a high um, rate of people who are renting. They're not homeowners. Um, the other pieces, adopters are relatively young. Um, there's not, so like millennials and things are adopting before having children. And at most millennials can't afford to buy a house, especially within the city of, of Toronto. So I think there was a lot that sort of went into that, that result, which we found very interesting. And it's not that these, these people are necessarily on the brink of becoming homeless, um, but they are considered, they are what would be considered residentially unstable because they do not own their home. Mm -hmm. And what does that information in combination with your hotspot analysis, with the new knowledge, what do you think the society will do differently? Um, that one, I think we were pretty, we were happy about, I think, you know what, I don't, there was nothing really in this study that uh, we were kind of like, oh no, we really need to focus this we were very happy with a lot especially with our public veterinary service um results i think it if anything it would encourage us to continue this um this analysis and do this again uh with data that we 
now take from 2020 and to, to 2025 and reassess and see if there's change. Uh, I think there what it may take from a from a marketing lens that that's my my background is really assessing the communities within our city, um, understanding their makeup and targeting ones um, that are similar to the ones that we are having a success with. Uh, so making sure, and again, not to force ourselves on anybody, but just to make sure that we, it's known that these services are available to people and that they can use, whether it's our, our public veterinary services, whether it's adopting, you know, we have um, something called our pet parent support network uh, that would be helpful for many people um, who are looking for an alternative to surrendering their pet, trying to find a, a different way to, to move things. So there's a bunch of services that I think would be really beneficial to people um, who, who need who need help. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, in your uh, report, you said that animal wear, welfare organizations can improve program effectiveness by adding data analytics skills. And I think that's what you just told me to the more traditional skills associated with this sector. What do you mean by that? You know, is this one of the first kind of spatial analysis that you know of in your sector? Um, and how do you see more programs need to pick up this data analytics skills and especially spatial data analytics skills? Yeah. Well, inherently, um, when it comes to people or or pets, there's a spatial aspect because we move, we, we live places like there is a spatial um, piece to to our being um and i think there is a huge opportunity uh, i think that the biggest challenge is funding but there is a huge opportunity for other uh, organizations to take advantage of studies like this to really assess if you're looking to target a certain group of people for fundraising this there, again there's a spatial aspect to that where do these people live who should you be reaching out to in, in, in that in that sense what what are their demographics where where are those people uh, there are so many different um, spatial questions that you can you can ask uh, and and answer using tools like GIS <laughs> Mm -hmm. That is really neat. I know this is not the first analysis. You've done spatial analysis. And I heard you used to map feral cats in the city. Tell me more about that. Yes. So again, a spatial problem <laughs> that I, I suggested to my team of, hey, we can do an analysis for this using GIS. <laughs> um, it, yeah, so we there's there hadn't been a proper estimation on how many feral cats or community cats existed within uh, the city of Toronto for quite some time. And numbers going around were, there's over 100,000 feral cats within the city and people, our, our staff and our, our leadership were kind of like, you know, where are these cats? If these, if these, if there's 100,000 of them, they should be a little bit more visible than than they are in some communities you do you see them a little bit more frequently but in others they're non-existent uh so we we took given that again these cats come from a space there's a location aspect to them we surveyed uh, some of the volunteers who helped manage them um, and took some took data and primary data on the, the the makeup of the colonies that they look after so how many cats are within within that colony, how frequently are they visiting, where are they located, what's the closest intersection, that type of, uh, that type of information. And we applied, uh, extrapolated that out over 
the city of Toronto and then the region of Peel as well uh, out to the west of the city. So we... So how many feral cats did we have roughly? <laughs> so we estimated that given all of those different data pieces, we looked, we were estimating somewhere around uh, 17,000 within the city of Toronto, um, which is a far cry from the 100,000 that, that was out there before. Um, but that was sort of, again, we, we, we took using census tract data, we applied the, the model that sort of estimated of, hey, you know, we know these, these colonies are in this type of area. If we apply that across the board, this, we ended up with somewhere in the nature of 17,000. Wow. What action did this uh, piece of analysis lead to? Um, in terms of our own, we wanted to do another, a secondary analysis, and we're coming up on time on when we wanted to do that to see if, the, again, if there's change before we did anything too crazy internally on, in terms of our processes. Uh, the pandemic hit, which has also <laughs> prevented a little bit of, of that, and then this other study that we were just talking about did too, took priority. Um, but uh, I think what it, it, it has helped us sort of see the success of something that we've already done. So we offer... Uh, trap neuter returns uh, services through our public veterinary services, which is we neuter, we spay and neuter the, the cats that are out in the community so that they're not producing um, unwanted litters and things like that. And then we, we, we set them back out to where they, they came from after a recovery period. Uh, so what this told us is that, you know, if, if a few years back, the estimates were 100,000, populations are going down. We were seeing stray intakes, uh, so animals that were coming in off the streets, that those were um, getting less and less. So that was, that was also good news. Um, we wanted to do an additional study before we made any operational changes. I was wondering the data analysis piece, was it intrinsically built into your role? Were you the, or you were the first one who has done that in your organization? How was that taken? Yes. So it's not part of my role. <laughs> it's just, a, I, th I, would, I think, a benefit <laughs> that I bring um, to the organization. N nobody else there they, uh, can, can use GIS anyway, um, at least not through the, the spatial analytics lens. Um, some people have some introductory skills, but yeah, I am the first person at Toronto Humane Society to have done this level of ge geographical analytics. Um, I, it's definitely, I think there's a lot more room. I would love if we could start up our, you know, a, a whole department so we could actually get <laughs> some of these projects uh, that done uh, in a little more timely fashion. Uh, but yeah, it's not, it's not intrinsically part of my role as much as I would like it to be. Um, it's just something that I able to sort of add on every now and then to with, with projects. See, did people see the value of it right away? Yes, yes, 100%. What kind of mapping and analysis that you like to do in the future? Oh, I would love to look at, um, you know, get a better feel for our, our donors. I have to come from, from my from my perspective, I think it would be a great thing to sort of assess um, our donors our members, who are the people that are really truly passionate about our organization and the, the way that we're, the, the, the direction that we're going, um, you know, using that to help grow our support would be fantastic. Um, future studies like this would be fan, like, would be fantastic again to, again, make sure that we're, we're accessing the people who, who need access to us. <laughs> um, and then, for there, like on the medical side of things, we could map 
disease um, and how that is moving around Ontario through through organizations. There, I think there's ample opportunity for um, animal welfare organizations to use spatial analytics. Um, it takes some creative thinking, I would say for sure, because it's not something that is um, well known. These things don't necessarily come um, easily, but you, if, if I think if there's location data associated with it, there's definitely a way that you can use the, the spatial analytics side of things to assess and fix problems. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tegan, for joining us today on Geographical Thinking and sharing all of your stories and analysis. We look forward to hearing more from you and the Toronto Humane Society in the future. Thank you for having me. Tegan Buckingham, Director of Integrated Marketing and Development at the Toronto Humane Society. If you're interested in learning more about her analysis, we have a link to the full report on our podcast webpage. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations by the science of wear. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.